When one embarks upon full-time pastoral ministry, can't predict what course his life will take. Per God's sovereign hidden will, each man's path will look different. Some pastors end up staying in the same place for a long time. You think of the Apostle Peter. Even after the great scattering of Christians, Peter remained on in Jerusalem. He was planted there like an anchor for the church. A modern-day equivalent might be John MacArthur, who's been in the same pulpit for about 50 years. Pretty remarkable. Others, however, end up more like the Apostle Paul. He was a journeyman, never really landing in the same place for too long. Some today go from church to church, staying there for a season, ministering to the church before receiving a call elsewhere. A modern-day example might be our own late brother, Wayne Pearson, whose pastoral career likewise stretched about 50 years, but never in the same place for too long. He served in many different churches all over the West, sometimes just a few years as he helped revitalize the church. God has his plans for his servants. He will move them and direct them as he sees fit. There's no better or worse here, just different. The minister in turn is simply required to be faithful. He needs to be found faithful in accepting the call of God placed on his life and fulfill his ministry, whatever that might look like. With this in mind, I think most of you know, this Sunday marks the last of our own associate pastor, Oliver Jones. He embarks on his next chapter, being called to lead a church plant in his hometown of Spokane, Washington. You know, we're sad to see him go, but we can't help but be filled with joy to see the kingdom grow in other places. And so we want to be sure to send him with our prayers. And that said, I've had in my mind for about a month the kind of message I wanted to preach with his departure in mind, and it's about prayer. Best thing you can do for Oliver now, the best way you can support him is to pray for him. Same goes for me, for that matter. The same goes for for all pastors you have or you might have in the future, all elders, all missionaries. You need to be praying for your pastors. And I don't say that tritely. Pastors need powerful prayer. Many in the church, in reality, have a low view of prayer. They wouldn't admit to such, but their practice says otherwise. I'll just put it this way. If you can't think of the last time you prayed for your pastors, you probably have a low view of prayer. Now, of course, we need to pray for a lot more than just our pastors. We need to be in prayer for all the saints. Like Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.18, he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. But then he adds right after that in verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Everyone needs prayer, but you can make the case that that pastors and those in position of leadership need prayer all the more. In fact, let me real quick make that case for you. And briefly, here's three reasons why your pastors need your prayer. First, pastors have greater responsibility. You're accountable for yourself, but your pastors are accountable for themselves and their flock. Hebrews 13, 17 says, they are those who will give account to God for those they lead. That's a huge responsibility to be accountable for the souls of other human beings They need to bear that greater responsibility well. And and for that, they need greater prayer. Second, pastors have greater stakes. 
This is the nature of all leadership. The higher you get in leadership, just, just the greater the stakes. If you succeed, if you do well, great things can happen. But if you fail and fall, immense damage can be done. God has put pastors at the helm of local churches. Just the nature of leadership, they're at the steering wheel, so to speak. And if they get the ministry right, they can lead many to immense spiritual blessing and fruitfulness. But if they get the ministry wrong, they can lead to unimaginable spiritual ruin and devastation among the people. Leadership matters. So yeah, pastors need your prayer. You can add in there 1 Timothy 3, 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So even God is watching them more closely. They really need your prayer. Pastors have a greater responsibility placed on their shoulders. It's going to come with greater stakes. That's something the enemy knows as well. And that leads to the third reason pastors especially need your prayer. Pastors have greater opposition. The devil knows well the principle of Mark 14, 27. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That literally happened when Christ was struck down. But that principle carries forward. And for this reason, those in leadership just have a greater target on their back. It's not a coincidence that Paul asks the church to pray for him in Ephesians 6, right after talking about spiritual warfare. All of us need to put on the full armor of God, that we might stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6.11, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers of uh, dark forces. Verse 12, we all need to be on the alert in prayer for ourselves and one another all the time in light of this spiritual warfare. But given the greater opposition pastors face physically and spiritually, they need your alert prayerfulness all the more. We could go on. I think this should suffice for now. You, you need to be praying with perseverance and petition for all the saints but give special mention in your prayers of your pastors. They need it desperately. Now, the rest of our time this morning, I want to tell you, though, how, how to pray for your pastors. Whether you pray for your pastors or not is up to you and on you. We'll have to save a message on the necessity of prayer and the conviction to pray for another time. I hope you do. I hope you learn to. But for now, I just want to focus on how to pray, or really what to pray for your pastors, for your leaders. You know, last week when Oliver preached, we saw how Paul solicited prayer in general from the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he simply says at the end of his letter, brethren, pray for us. Doesn't say how, he assumed they knew how to pray for Paul and his ministry partners, This morning, I want to make that explicit to you. How do you pray for us, for your pastors? The Bible doesn't give us a little bullet point list and specifically address this. But you can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul and his writings. Because on several occasions, there's eight key passages in total, he asks for prayer for himself. He solicits his own personal ministry prayer requests. It's crystal clear, Paul believed prayer was necessary 
It was effective. It was powerful. He knew his weaknesses, his limitations. He still had his flesh. He knew he needed God's power to do the work before him. He knew that power was going to come through prayer. His prayer and the prayer of of the people. So he asked them to pray for him all the time. He did so seriously. Listen to one of those passages. It's Romans 1530. He says, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He urges them with the very serious charge. He says, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit, right? They have the same Lord, the same spirit. So he calls them to strive together with him in their prayers for him. Will you too strive together in your prayer for us, for your pastors? Will you join in striving in prayer for your leaders? You look at Paul's other prayer requests and you go on to learn how at least he felt he needed prayer for his pastoral role, a shepherding role. It's then pretty easy to apply that to all who minister. We may not be apostles, but the shepherding role is is similar. We can easily apply this to all who minister. You add in a few other key passages that speak to ministry requirements, ministry challenges. You start building a prayer list pretty fast of how to pray for your pastors. So that's what I want us to consider this morning. I've done my own Bible study. I've consolidated it down to my own list. I want to present that to you now. For the sake of Pastor Oliver, as he departs, for the sake of all future pastors you might have, for my own sake, take this to heart. Here is how to pray for your pastors from Scripture. How to pray for your pastors. And in total, I have at least 15 ways, which means we better get started. (laughs) Now, the first five are all gospel-related. When you look at Paul's prayer requests, So many of them have to do with the ministry of the gospel. That's paramount to a pastor's mission. It seems like that's the best place to start. Things that correspond to the ministry of the gospel. So let's begin with number one, gospel clarity. You need to pray for gospel clarity. You can turn to Ephesians 6. We're moving fast, but if you want to follow along right now, you can turn to Ephesians 6. I mentioned that before. So we can start here. I'll read again what Paul says in verse 19, asking for prayer for himself. He says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So first, Paul is asking that utterance might be given to him. That word for utterance, it's simply the word for word, logos. He's asking for a word. When he opens his mouth, when it's time to speak, he just wants a word. He wants something right to say. What's the subject matter? Well, in the verse, it's the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. There's going to be times when he has to speak about Jesus. And when those times come, he just wants to to get it right and speak clearly. This passage is paralleled in Colossians 4, so 
If you're fast, you can just flip right over to Colossians 4. Turn to the right a little bit. Listen to what Paul adds there in verses 2 through 4. Colossians 4 verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned, and that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. We have a prayer request among others here, one that he might make it clear in the way he ought to speak. Paul is writing both Ephesians and Colossians back to back from jail in Rome during his first Roman imprisonment. He, he was just jailed, essentially, for speaking about Jesus. Nevertheless, he was going to have to keep speaking. He can't stop. And when it was going to be time to speak again about Christ, he just wanted to declare that mystery with clarity. Let me just be clear in the way I ought to speak. In Colossians 4, that verb make clear simply means to make known, to make something manifest or visible. It speaks of something concealed that's being revealed. Today, we would say shed light on something. What does Paul want to make clear? Same thing here in verse 3 of Colossians 4. It's the same thing. It's the mystery of Christ. That word mystery simply speaks of a, a revelation of God that was concealed in the Old Testament, but now is being revealed. And he wants to make this revelation that's now open. He wants to make it known. He wants to make it clear. It's, it's a mystery no more. Christ has come. His full person and work has been made manifest. The path of salvation is open. And so now, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But not everyone has heard of this Jesus. He came and went, but not everyone saw him. Not everyone beheld his glory. Not everyone heard his gospel. What about those people? Like Paul asks in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And the answer is, in God's plan, they won't. Now, of course, if God wanted, he could send an angel to fly around the globe and preach the gospel to everyone, like all at once, just kind of be done with it. Everyone's heard now. That's not God's will. In this age, he simply deemed to use preachers, ministers, evangelists, those sent to tell people the gospel. And this task is central to the office of pastor. People need to hear the report and they need to hear it with clarity. Like that message just has to be clear. The person of Jesus must be clear who he is, born of a virgin, fully man, yet also fully God. And the work of Jesus has to be clear that he lived a completely sinless life, but nevertheless died on the cross in the place of sinners as a substitute for sinners, fully bearing the wrath of God on their behalf, making atonement for their sins. And Jesus then rose from the grave on the third day and now stands offering forgiveness and reconciliation to all who repent 
and believe in him. If you get, if you get this message wrong, though, if you communicate the person and the work of Jesus in an unclear manner, you just might lead someone to believe a false gospel. You know, the preacher is trying to be God's agent of salvation, not, not damnation. But few things are as damning as an unclear message, an unclear false gospel. And far be it from any minister to speak unclearly. Instead, he must cut it straight. He must rightly divide the word of truth. For this, he needs God's wisdom and power. And for that, he needs prayer. He's going to need your prayer. Like Paul asked, is that we would just get it right, make it clear. So as the Ephesians and Colossians prayed for Paul, you too need to pray for your pastors that they might make the mystery of the gospel clear. At the very least, just make it clear. And to achieve such clarity, they they need prayer. Secondly, gospel boldness. Gospel clarity, now gospel boldness. It's one thing to be clear when you speak. And that's necessary. That clarity is good for nothing if you don't actually speak. Like when when it comes time to speak forth the mystery of Christ, saying nothing is good for nothing. No one ever hit a home run by not swinging at the ball. And whether you strike out or get a hit, it's kind of beside the point. Evangelism, you you at least have to take a swing. You have to say something. And pastors especially need boldness. They need to be swinging for the fences every time. And for that boldness, that they're going to need your prayer. You go back to Ephesians 6. You see that here, in addition to asking for prayer, to have a word, twice Paul asks for boldness. You think, really, does does Paul need more boldness? He's asking for prayer twice for more boldness when he speaks. Ephesians 6, 19, 20. He says, I pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This word for boldness is very interesting. It's the word for all combined with the word for speaking, all speech. It's just talking about the freedom to say it all. Today we call this being frank. I should look that up. I don't know where that came from, why we call it being frank, but you know what that means. This boldness of speech is talking about not holding anything back. It's saying everything that needs to be said. It's where you're laying it all out. You're making it plain. Even if it offends people, you're not holding back. And listen, when it comes to preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel, this boldness is required because offense is built into the message. You realize like that offense is actually built into the gospel message. The saving message of Jesus starts with bad news. Like it ends with good news, but it starts with bad news. You know that you're a guilty sinner before God. You have a 0% chance of saving yourself. You're under his wrath, 
deservedly so, because contrary to what you might think, you're not good. You're bad. And for all that you've done, you're going to be separated from God's glory forever. Who wants to hear that? And that bad news is offensive to people's sense of self-worth, self-esteem, goodness. Everyone likes to think they're good. I mean, you go to a prison and interview people, and most are going to say they're still good people. I'm a good person. Relatively, they might be good. But before a perfectly holy God, they're not even close to good. They're evil, and they're repulsive in God's sight, according to his word. And that message is going to offend people. If you speak it boldly, if you just like say that, you know, read some verses, say what the Bible says, it's going to offend. But that's part of the gospel. People need to come to terms first with the bad news, the magnitude of their lost condition before God. But that in turn is what makes the good news so good that even though you were God's enemy, he reconciled you to himself through the death of his son, even though you were a sinner, he sent his sinless son to die on the cross on your behalf, that you might be forgiven of all that wrong, that evil, the guilt and the shame you have. He came to, to wipe it out, to take it on himself, to take it away, to offer you his righteousness. You even receive all this for free. It's called grace. You don't, you don't have to work for this, not about effort. You receive it by his grace. That's some good news. But again, this message requires clarity. And to achieve that clarity, it's going to require boldness. You're going to have to just kind of say it how it is. Can't dance around it. Don't dare dull the sharp corners of this message. They're needed to pierce the hearts of sinners. And the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit, And the word cuts us open. It lays bare our shame. But you should know the word cuts us, not to kill us, but to heal us. It cuts us open to expose the cancer of sin that we might receive the saving blood of Christ, the healing blood of Christ. The last thing you want then or need is a pastor who dulls the blade of the word because he's scared of how people will respond. And he does that because he's only thinking of himself, thinking about what's best for him, his reputation, his acceptance, his standing, his security. He's not thinking about what's best for the people or God's glory. And look, I don't want to offend people with my personality or my mannerisms, but the preacher must dare not stop the gospel from offending people. That's it's part of the program. I want to make sure, though, you, you appreciate the pressure a lot of pastors face. You got to remember, they're just humans, and they're sinners, just like you. And their flesh wants what your flesh wants, to be accepted, to be loved, to be applauded. Everyone wants the praise and the acclaim of the crowd. No one wants the rejection and the scorn of the crowd. No one wants to be ridiculed, mocked, and hated by the crowd. 
And look, it's just a sad reality, but it's part of our fallen natures now to instinctively fear man more than God. Wouldn't you say? Just instinctively part of our fallen natures to fear man more than God. That's why Peter denied the Lord three times. Right? The pressure got to him. But you should know later on, through the power of the Spirit and through prayer, that same Peter found great boldness in his speech. You think about Acts chapter 4. You know, Peter was arrested for telling people about Jesus. But this time he didn't run away. He stood before the same people who had crucified Jesus, but he boldly declared to them the gospel. And thereafter, Peter prayed this. Just listen to Acts 4.29. He says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word, he says, with all confidence. It's the same word for boldness that we have in our passage. He says in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They pray, they get bold. You know, the boldness to speak the word of God without fear in the face of opposition, that doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we all cower in fear because of the flesh. But this type of gospel preaching requires power. That power comes from God. He gives it via his Holy Spirit, and it's accessed by prayer, by this humble dependence on God. Peter received it. Paul received it. Now you need to be praying for your pastors that they too would receive it. Pray that your pastors would always fear God more than man. And that they would speak the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help them God. Thirdly now, gospel opportunity. A third way to pray for your pastors, gospel opportunity. I mentioned how Colossians 4 parallels Ephesians 6. You can go again to Colossians 4. Because over there, we learn of another important prayer request Paul had for himself. He wanted to speak clearly. He wanted to speak boldly. But he still needed an opportunity to speak. So I'll read again Colossians 4, 2 through 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. And then he says that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also have been imprisoned. You see now, part of the prayer request Paul has here is for God to open up for them a door for the word. It's a very simple, well-known metaphor for an opportunity Here Paul has in mind a gospel opportunity, a wide open door where someone or even a group of people is made ready and willing to hear the word of Christ. It's kind of like this. Just listen, Acts 14, 26 through 27. So what Paul, you know, gets back to Antioch, which was his home base for a while. It says, from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. It says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things 
that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God is sovereign in salvation. He's sovereign over the ends, over the means, over the circumstances. You can just entrust that work to him. It's his work. He's given us a part to play in our responsibility. We have to share the gospel. That's what he tells us to do. So you just be faithful to do your part. With this in mind, though, it's, it's only right to pray to the God who's sovereign over the circumstances, that those circumstances would align such that you, you find these open doors. You're met with opportunities to share the gospel. And pray at least for the opportunity to speak, for a willing audience to listen. And pray this for your pastors. They're called to speak quite often. So pray that they would have ample opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ, and they would find people who are ready to listen. You know, when you do this, you are truly partnering in the work of the ministry. Like you, you actually are. And the same goes for missionaries. You know, we, we give out those little missionary prayer cards. It's not just, it's not just for show. It's not just a magnet to put on your fridge and forget about. You may not be able to go overseas and you might never preach in front of a crowd, but you are sincerely joining the, the gospel ministry when you commit to diligently pray for them as they speak. You pray for their opportunity. You are truly in God's eyes partnering in the work of the ministry and commit yourself to do that. Pray for gospel opportunity. And while you're at it, also pray for gospel fruit is the fourth way. You can be praying for your pastors, gospel fruit. This prayer request is made explicit over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. His prayer is that the word of the Lord will, will spread rapidly and, and be glorified. You know, as Paul concludes his second letter to the Thessalonians, he calls them to pray. He says, pray for us. Who's asking for prayer? How so? It's nothing personal. It's not health. It's not wealth. He has other bigger concerns. He's got gospel concerns. And this time he wants prayer that the, the gospel through them would spread rapidly and be glorified. Now, I love how he puts this in the Greek, this word, that the phrase you see, spread rapidly. It's really just the, the very simple word for run. Treco just means to run, like running a race. The word of the Lord or the gospel message, it's pictured like a messenger. And the prayer is just that it would just run ahead, run on. It would speed ahead to and fro throughout the earth, spreading the light of Christ. He's praying that the, the gospel would just have a swift delivery. And as it goes out, he prays that it would be glorified. Now, for the word of the Lord to be glorified, it's not, it doesn't mean we worship the Bible. We don't. We worship the God revealed in the Bible. But we do honor the Bible, we do honor the gospel message as the revelation which makes known to us God. And that's what he means here. This is a prayer that 
as the word of the Lord spreads to the nations, it would find an honorable reception among its hearers. This is a prayer that the gospel opportunity would be met with gospel fruit. That the people would receive it. They would honor the message and believe. It's a prayer for gospel fruit. You know, the Thessalonians themselves experienced this. You know, to Paul, when he says word of the Lord, and you read 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, it's pretty clear it's synonymous with the gospel message. You know, he reminds them, this was back in 1st Thessalonians chapter 1. He reminds them how the gospel came to them first with word and power. He reminds them how they received the word. And he reminds them how they then, he says, sounded forth the word of the Lord. You know, it was Paul himself who, who ran the word of the Lord to the Thessalonians in the first place. He planted the Thessalonian church on his second missionary journey. You know, when he arrived in Thessalonica, he faced great opposition among the Jews. I mean, talk about a closed door. They were not having it. But at the same time, he found one of those wide open doors among the Gentiles. And behind that door of opportunity was gospel fruit, just a harvest right behind that door. In Acts 14, or rather Acts 17, verse 4 says that in Thessalonica, as he preached the gospel, it says a large number of God-fearing Greeks and leading women believed. You know, the harvest was ready. Paul showed up. He found a window of opportunity. So he just put in the sickle of the word. He preached the gospel with clarity and boldness. Then just a harvest was reaped. This happened to them first, the Thessalonians. That's what he's reminding them of here. And so now this prayer request, he's asking them to pray that the same thing would just happen again. Right in the next town, in the next town. Just, you guys keep praying that that would keep happening. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did with you also, he says to them. And it's a prayer for more gospel fruit. And pastors and missionaries are those who speak the gospel as a profession, you might say. They're, they're seeking a harvest of souls. They don't have that power. That's, that's a supernatural thing, salvation of others. That, that requires God's power. And that's why they need your support in the form of calling on God in prayer. You know, as, a, as a football fan, I think of a running back right at the goal line. He's doing his best to push through into the end zone. He's just inches away, but he can't make it. The opposing linemen, they're, they're too big, they're strong, they're holding the line. He's not going to make it. But then one of his own, li- unli- own linemen comes from behind and just gives him one of these pushes. These mighty pushes just forces him through into the end zone. That's what your pastors need from you. They need this, this mighty push to bear fruit in their gospel ministry, and it's going to come via prayer. That's what you need to do. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. It says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest 
is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And Jesus called on his disciples to pray, to beseech God, to send workers to reap the harvest that God has. And take notice, there's two parts in that equation, right? The the reapers, the harvesters, and then those who beseech, those who pray. Again, you may not be a full-time worker or harvester or preacher, but you can make sure that you're a full-time beseecher, a full-time prayer warrior, one who prays for them to go and bear fruit. Make sure you do that. Let's add here one more gospel prayer. I told you the first five would be gospel-themed. Number five, gospel faithfulness. You need to pray for your pastors that they'd have gospel clarity, gospel boldness, gospel opportunity, gospel fruit, and now gospel faithfulness. You need to pray they would remain faithful to the gospel itself. What does that really mean? Well, think back to Israel's shepherds. They had kings and priests who were meant to lead them to know God, lead them to God's word and understanding. But they didn't do that. They failed. They were sinful and selfish. They fleeced the flock. They did not care for the flock. And they received upon themselves God's condemnation. But back then, God promised a day would come when he would send his people He says, shepherds after his own heart. Listen to Jeremiah 3.15. He says, then I I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And that day has dawned with the new covenant of Christ. And now God and his church uses under shepherds of Christ. These are just men who follow Christ and they're leading others. To do the same. You need to pray that they would remain faithful to this calling. And chief in this calling is feeding the people on knowledge and understanding. The knowledge of God and his word. If you like, you can turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. You know, as you know, we don't live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And also, we need to be feeding on the pure milk of God's word so that by it, we may grow in respect to salvation. So you need to pray that your pastors would not forget this, that they wouldn't forsake the life-changing power that's found in God's word, that they wouldn't exchange it for something else. Pray they remain faithful to teach, to preach, to minister the gospel. And a key admonition here comes in 2 Timothy 4. Paul is exhorting Timothy, who's really taking on the, the pastoral mantle from Paul. And listen how he addresses Timothy in his pastoral role. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and careful instruction. You notice here, this is a a super serious charge. You know, verse 1, he charges Timothy 
in the presence of God. And let's, let's add Christ Jesus, who, just a reminder, he's going to judge the living and the dead. You know, why not? Let's throw in his appearing and his kingdom. He's just kind of piling on like big things. This is a very serious charge. And he's telling Timothy in this age, in light of all this, you better make sure to do one thing. And what's the one thing? Preach the word. The heart of the pastor is to feed the sheep the living word of God. So he better preach it and he better be faithful in it. This is all the more important because there will be many pastors, so-called pastors or shepherds, who will not be faithful in it. And next, Paul prophetically looks forward throughout the church age. And he says this, look at verse 3. He says right after, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul knows that goats will mix with the sheep and oftentimes they will make their voices louder to get what they want. They have no appetite for the word of God. They don't really care about sound doctrine. I mean, they're attending the church for the appearance of religiosity and and morality. They don't really want to hear about God's kingdom and God's righteousness. No, they want their ears ears tickled. Tell me a joke. Tell me a story. Entertain me. And they'll use their power to accumulate for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. He says, in accordance with their own desires. They don't really care what God wants and God thinks is best for them. Here's what, here's what I want. You know, and such mercenary ministers are not faithful. And given how serious the charge was in verse 1, you know, woe unto them. But again, you, you need to know that the pressure is real on pastors, especially in our day and age. You know, the widespread landscape of Christianity in America clamors for ear tickling. I'm talking about the type of pop Christianity or or diet Christianity you would hear on like Christian radio. It's usually satisfied with millimeter deep Christian sayings and maxims, but falls like a mile short of giving the full counsel of God's word. But great pressure comes from our, our Christian culture to deliver you know, shorter sermons, more entertaining sermons, funnier sermons, less, less serious sermons. In addition, pressure comes to, to substitute the preaching of the word for just something else altogether. Like more music, video productions, PowerPoint presentations, social media, gimmicks, slogans, marketing campaigns. All with an ambiance of lighting and sound and special effects. These are all vain efforts. Just trying to convince people to attend a club, an organization. None of them come with the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. None of these other things. No one was ever admitted to heaven because he went to a church that had state-of-the-art lighting. If anything, he attended a church where... He heard the gospel preached with clarity, with boldness, and by a faithful pastor. That's what you need. That's what the church needs. 
That's what the nation needs. You better pray for that. What can you do, you think? What what can I do about our nation right now? Well, you can be praying. And you better be praying that your pastors remain faithful to their calling. Pray that your pastors would be indeed like the Apostle Paul who, who testified to the Ephesian elders as he left them in Acts 20, 27. He says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Well, if you can't tell already, we're not going to make it through all 15 of these ways to pray for your pastors. This is going to be a two-parter. But I do want to quickly include two more here before we finish. You know, the first five reasons are all gospel-centered. But there are other ways we can and should be praying for our pastors. So let's include two more here. Number six, above-reproach character. Now pray for their above-reproach character. This just comes from a consideration of 1 Timothy 3, which lists the qualifications for the office of elder pastor. You don't need to pray that your pastors would be perfect. It's not going to be answered. They're not perfect. They're sinners. They still have the flesh. They're like you. You're not going to find a perfect pastor. And if you put them on some sort of sinless pedestal, you're going to be disappointed and even stumbled. But hey, that's on you. Self-disclosure, I'm a sinner too. Now that said, though pastors still have the flesh and they still sin, they should be, you might say, more advanced in sanctification. They should give evidence of a, a greater degree of spiritual growth and maturity, whereby they have put away blatant and egregious sins. Then they should have a larger measure of proven character, where they have put on that which conforms to godliness. And that indeed is what's required of them to serve. As you consider 1 Timothy 3 as an example, you look at the requirements for pastors, it has almost nothing to do with their skill and almost everything to do with their character. God just wants qualified men. They must display a greater degree of Christ-likeness. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to cover the qualifications, what that looks like. And you can read on your own. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20. You'll get the picture of what God calls for their character to look like. But for now, when it comes to you praying for your pastors, in all, you can simply pray they would remain qualified. They would be above reproach. Pray they would be preserved from any disqualifying sin. Like they're going to sin, but pray they'd be preserved from any disqualifying sin. And that happens. You know, when pastors fall below these qualifications, they they need to step down or be removed. That can be so damaging to a local church, to the name of Christ. You know, we already made the point of how they have a bigger target on their backs. So you need to pray for their preservation. Pray God would keep them free from evil and from the evil one. Pray that God would preserve them from falling into any sin that would jeopardize their ministry, or the reputation of Christ. Well, let's finish up for now and add one more encouragement. Number seven, you can pray for their encouragement. You know, talking about how to pray for pastors, we've already exposed quite a bit of the requirements for pastors and the responsibilities for pastors. Does it sound like a lot? 
You know, when done right, it is. There's a way to do it where you're just kind of like phoning it in, putting together pretty cheap last-minute messages, giving people the bare minimum of your time, and then you just play a lot of golf. But to do it right, as the Lord calls it, it's meant to consume your life. You can't neglect the Lord. You can't neglect your family. But otherwise, you're kind of pouring your life out on the altar in service to God. Your life belongs to him now. This is what Paul exhorted Timothy to do. If you're still there, just go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and you can read along. 1 Timothy 4, verses 14 through 16. He says to Timothy earlier, he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance by the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Verse 15, he says, Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. So that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do so, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. This is just a call to young Timothy to just give yourself over into the ministry. Just be absorbed in it. Just, it's, it's now, that's what you do. It's all you do now. So that it's going to be so obvious that no one can question your dedication, your progress. It's going to be evident. People will say, like, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. He's not just golfing all day. He's, he's serious. If you do that, though, it's going to be taxing. It'll be taxing on your body. It'll take long hours and, and more physical exertion than you might think. Even though you're just kind of sitting at a desk all day, it's more than you might think. It might even come with some suffering and persecution as it did with Paul. Then you pile on top of that, that the mental, spiritual, and emotional taxation. This is what Paul attested to in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He listed all of his physical sufferings, but then he said, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Just kind of a spiritual weight, an added weight on the shoulders that doesn't go away. You know, it's one thing to go through life bearing your own burdens. It's another thing to go through life bearing the burdens of everyone else around you. But that can wear on you. This is why pastors in particular must guard against something some would call a burnout. This is a type of soul weariness that drains them of the spiritual energy to just keep going, keep serving. Prevention includes keeping watch over their own souls guarding themselves against discouragement and despair. But this also involves their people keeping watch over their souls, and that in large part is going to come through prayer. Pray for your pastors. Pray for their encouragement. Pray for their physical energy. Pray for their spiritual energy, their fortitude. Pray for their soul satisfaction in Christ. Pray they never lose sight of, of ongoing joy. No matter the circumstances, they can always say, it's well with my soul. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We must do good to all and not grow weary. 
especially to those of the household of the faith. And I think we've learned this morning that 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 needs to include your pastors too. And perhaps the greatest good you can do for them is, is to pray for them. I don't say like just to pray for them. Like that's a big thing. Like pray for them. Intercede for them. Make petition on their behalf. Remember them in your prayers often. They need it. We're going to see even more ways you can and need to be praying for your pastors next time. But just for now, by way of application, this is the best thing you can do for the Jones family as they depart to Washington. As Oliver is going to head up a church plant, pray for them. You can partner with them in prayer for the long haul. Not just like next week, but you know, next month, next year. Pray for the long haul that the gospel would go out in Spokane, Washington with clarity, with boldness. You can pray it finds ample opportunity and yields gospel fruit. You can pray that Oliver would remain faithful to the gospel, qualified in his character and encouraged. Pray for the whole Jones family that all their souls would delight in Christ as they live to serve him. We'll learn more about that next time, but why don't we just do that right now? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we, we thank you for your word and the power and privilege of prayer. The word and prayer, you extend such grace to us to hear from you and then to speak to you, to, to let our requests known to come before the throne of grace. And prayer is a privilege, it's powerful, it's necessary. And we've learned this morning the need to, to pray for our pastors among all, but we need to be praying for our elders, pastors, missionaries, those who lead, those who minister the gospel with greater responsibility and stakes and opposition. They, they need the prayer of their people. We do that this morning in particular for Oliver and the Jones family. We want to uniquely lift them up. It's a big time, a big transition, a big opportunity. Bless them as they go. We love them. We're thankful for them. We pray that they go with joy and encouragement, even though it's bittersweet. They look ahead to the, the ministry before them. We pray the gospel goes out in Spokane and finds open doors left and right, yields fruit. Help Oliver and the new elder board there to, to minister the gospel. May they just be clear in the way they ought to speak and bold, not holding back the true message. Keep them all qualified above reproach, and encouraged. I pray that they, there will be many hardships at this time of transition. Physically, just the move, new house, new environment. Spiritually, opposition will be there too, waiting for them. But keep them encouraged in Christ. You're greater. Your power is greater. We need not fear. May they just live in a daily dependence upon you and be blessed. And may we all continue to hold them up in prayer as well as all of our pastors, all of our missionaries. Convict us, Lord, if we're not already, to change, to be men and women of prayer who remember others daily. Thank you for prayer. We praise you for all that we have in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.